you know, I would see these open calls for public art projects on websites like Call for Entry or Coda Works, or, you know, a lot of local arts councils will have open calls for artists. And some of these budgets were, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, or even a million dollars. And that just seemed so. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it! What up, Gangstars? It's your girl, Devana, and man, it feels so good to be back again sharing this podcast with you guys. I know it's been some time since I released an episode, and it's just because it got crazy over the holidays, and life just got busy, you know? But I'm back with some amazing new episodes, amazing new guests, and speaking of which, today's Gangstar creative guest is Nicole Muller, and she's a San Francisco, California-based visual artist, and her work includes large-scale paintings, murals, and installations that mimic the effects of stained glass. Her work has been exhibited in California, New York, and Maryland, and she has been an artist-in-residence at Art Point and the Vermont Studio Center. She has completed projects in collaboration with the City of Alameda, California Arts Council and Downtown Alameda Business Association, Artspan, and the Salesforce Transit Center in San Francisco. But she's also had a lot of projects in commercial businesses throughout San Francisco. She's also the co-host of Beyond the Studio podcast, and they basically are very similar to the Gangstar Creative podcast, where they bring on artists and have them talk about their career paths, and they aim to increase transparency in the art world by hosting candid conversations about their business practices, time management, financial planning, and how they're navigating the unique challenges of making a living creatively. I was super stoked to bring her on the podcast because at the time of this interview, which was actually last August, she had recently completed a huge commission project where she had a budget in the six-figure range, and we dive deep into the ins and outs of that project and many more things about her career and her story. So let's just dive in. All right, Gangstars, I have an amazing Gangstar creative here today. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me, and I'm excited to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so could you first start off by just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? It was Nicole, where did you start, and where are you today? Um, sure. Well, I, my name's Nicole, and I'm primarily a painter, um, but I also create installation-based work, uh, some public projects. Um, I study painting and a little bit of illustration in art school. Um, I went to college in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, where I lived for about eight years. And um, when I was first starting out, I did a lot of commercial mural painting, um, worked a lot of various creative freelancing gigs, um, you know, different part-time jobs. Um, I also worked a couple of different roles within higher education, um, so had a few full-time roles in arts administration. Um, and then about four years ago, I moved out to San Francisco, California, where I currently live. Um, so I've been in the Bay Area for a few years now and really trying to shift the focus and build up my own creative practice. Um, and then just earlier this year, I left a full-time role that I had working at California College of the Arts uh, to pursue my painting practice full-time. Um, so that's, that's so awesome. Yeah, Congrats. this year has um, looked a little different. And so that's sort of where, where I am now. 
That's awesome. Um, well, shout out to you being from the East Coast, going to the West Coast. That's kind of similar to my story too. I'm actually originally from Virginia yeah, and okay. ended up living in San Diego for six years and just moved to Houston. So now I'm back in the oh, South, wow. but like in the Mid-South. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you, um, when you said in the beginning, like you started out doing like early on in your career, doing mural work and things like that. When you were kind of in your, the beginning parts of your career, how did you actually get into that work? Um, I actually started mural painting when I was just out of art school. It was one of the first jobs I had. Um, you know, I had graduated uh, with a degree in painting and a minor concentration in illustration. And I wanted to continue painting, but I really didn't have a, a clear idea or any examples of what it looked like to either be a full-time artist or sustain a creative practice long-term. And so I was just searching and applying for any jobs that seemed relevant that would allow me to, you know, expand my skill set. And oh. I saw an opening for a mural assistant, um, which I applied for. And, you know, at the time it seemed like a, a perfect blend of my background in painting and illustration. And so I was actually working on a lot of kid-friendly murals in, um, in, uh, dentist offices. That was, the, that was our big project. Wow. Um, so that was my first job out of art school. And then it sort of evolved into, uh, taking on more mural projects. Um, I had started a small mural painting business with a fellow graduate and that sort of became, uh, like our day job for the first three or four years. Um, so that's sort of how I got into mural painting, but it was really separate from my, you know, my personal painting practice. It was something mm -hmm. that I did, um, as, as a job, but more recently I've been able to start to merge the two and, um, you know, take my, my studio work into the realm of mural painting again. I love that. And it, I think it's good that you share that, especially to anybody that's listening, that's kind of in those beginning stages. still trying to figure out, you know, the balance of wanting to kind of do what you want to do as a creative, especially like coming out of, um, school for, for arts, like you, you're still figuring out your style and you're trying to figure out how do I, you know, do this, what I love, but also make money from it. But then also you kind of have to be realistic in the, in the moment, in the moment of where you are in your career and like figure out how can you make money other ways and kind of make some sacrifices in the beginning. And so it's interesting that you shared that, you know, to make some money, you know, you have to paint murals and you did that with a friend, but it wasn't exactly like your style of art. You kind of like separated that because you wanted to still paint and make money from that. Um, but still while working on your creative pursuits um, for your style and your focus. And so I'm kind of curious as to how you got into um, your style of artwork, because I love your work. It's beautiful. It's so colorful. I love colors. And I love how it has that kind of like the organic shapes and uh, color and like layers and there's a lot of depth to it. So everybody listening, definitely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, definitely go follow her and check out our artwork. It's really amazing. Um, so how did you kind of figure that out and mold yourself into that direction? Um, it's an interesting question. I think um, the, the creative process, um, just like, you know, your creative career uh, typically isn't linear. So I think it's been a slow evolution over time. Um, you know, I've always had an interest in color. Uh, when I was studying painting in art school, I was doing a lot of figurative work, uh, a lot of large scale oil paintings, and I really loved painting and drawing from life. Um, so that was sort of what 
um, my work looked like was a lot of, uh, you know, figurative paintings. But I think within that, what I was really interested in was, uh, were these more formal elements like color and shape. And so um, I remember taking one class in school called color abstraction. Uh, it was like a painting requirement. And up until that point, I had never worked abstractly at all. And that class really changed the direction of my work um, and allowed me to uh, kind of abandon the figure, start taking more risks. And um, so I, I think that was really a turning point. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking, uh, I guess, a couple of other moments where I could point to that really, you know, shifted or maybe changed the direction my work was headed in was um, was actually that mural painting, you know, even though it wasn't really related to my studio practice, I felt like I learned a lot of other things through that, um, that ended up translating into my work, uh, like just getting comfortable working large scale, um, kind of the process that I would approach, uh, you know, tackling a large project, um, and then other more practical things like, uh, client communications, but artistically, I think just, um, getting comfortable with, working at a larger scale has really informed the types of projects that I, you know, have been seeking out and then working on more recently. Um, and then when I had my, my very first solo exhibition in Maryland, um, I visited this gallery space, uh, was actually in Rockville. So a little bit, um, in between Baltimore and DC, and they had these beautiful floor to ceiling windows, uh, that would just, you know, the light throughout the, the gallery really um, struck me and I was uh, kind of interested in other contemporary painters who had worked in stained glass and wanted to do something to activate the natural light within this gallery space. So in addition to um, the series of paintings that I was working on, I uh, collaged um, or cut a, a series of um, colored window films and layered them in the windows of this gallery so that um, I would uh, be able to take some elements of my paintings or collages into um, something that was more dimensional. Um, and that's, I, I think, what led me into making more installation-based work. Mm. Um, so those are a couple of moments that stand out, but I think, you know, it's been a lot of experimentation and trial and error. And I think, um, especially in art school, you're just, you know, taking all kinds of courses and, um, in, in retrospect, you can sort of see, you know, how maybe one thing led to another and your work ha has evolved. But I think, um, in reality, you know, it feels like you're pursuing a lot of different directions at the time. And, um, now I can look back and, you know, feels like there was some connective thread or, you know, the work starts to feel a little bit more cohesive, but I think that's just a product of the amount of time spent working on, um, developing your interests. Mm, I love that. And now you recently got like the biggest project um, and commission that you've ever gotten in your career, which I want to dive into a little bit later, um, which has sure. obviously, you know, catapulted you into working full time for yourself. So I'm, I'm interested because yeah. I know a lot of people listening, like they want, that's like a dream, you know, being able to actually do what they love full time. Um, so 
how has it been working full-time for yourself as a creative? And did you like make sure certain things were in place before you took that leap? And what were those things? Cause I know a lot of people feel like, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to have in, in place before I do this. Should I just, just take the leap no matter what, like everybody's journey is so different. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts mm-hmm. were on making that decision. Yeah, I think it's such an important question and it does look different for everybody. Um, and there have been some other times in my life that I've, you know, maybe tried to make a similar transition. Um, when I moved out to the Bay Area, I left behind a full-time job working in higher education um, that I had in Baltimore. And you know, I was feeling pretty financially stable for the first time in my adult life. I had been <laughs> building up savings, you know, starting to invest and Um, So I I really wanted to try and shift the focus on my painting career when I came out here. Um, I was working part-time at an art museum, but I was really focusing primarily on building up my studio practice. And uh, to be honest, I think I really underestimated how much of a transition moving cross-country, starting over in a new city. um, Especially in California. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the, um, (laughs) it's not the most inexpensive place to live. Uh, So I, you know, I think, um, those first couple of years were more challenging than I'd anticipated. And, you know, a few years later, I found myself in debt and I, it just wasn't working. And so I uh, started applying for, you know, other, other roles and trying to make a change. And so for a couple of years, I was working full-time um, again, I, in higher education. Um, and so it's really just earlier this year that I was able to kind of confidently leave that role. But um, I guess I just say that it's, you know, it's been a long process and, you know, I graduated from school 10 years ago and it's really just this year that I feel like things have, have really changed. Um, but it's, it's come through, I think just a lot of s- slow growth, um, when I was really early on in my career and, you know, mural painting, doing different creative freelance projects, um, I was, I was slowly starting to sell work, um, you know, first through friends and family, and mm-hmm. then eventually, um, through, uh, through art consultants and, you know, other, other people that were working with artists. And so I just started to build on those relationships. And that's been one of the main avenues that I've been able to sell work over the years, um, And so the actual transition to working for myself full-time was a a little bit different than I expected. Um, You know, I, I, what I thought it was going to look like was slowly kind of building up a steady stream of projects to get to a place where I felt like I had enough cushion or runway to, you know, be able to Um, to make that change where either the income that was being generated through my painting practice um, was similar or at least half of, you know, what I was bringing in through my, my full-time day job. Um, So that was sort of my plan was, you know, let's start to take on bigger projects. Um, And in addition to just selling work, uh, you know, I was doing some of this installation-based work. And I think I mentioned I I started to do some more mural paintings. So I started to take on more um, commission-based work or, you know, doing site-specific public projects. Mm. Um, And that was one avenue I felt like would lead into, you know, potentially bigger opportunities with bigger budgets or being able to apply for 
you know, open calls for public art. Um, so that was the realm that I sort of saw my work moving in and, um, you know, being able to sustain a full-time practice through um, taking on, uh, it's almost doing more project-based work in addition to, you know, selling work out of my studio. Um, but then what ended up happening is, uh, you know, this one big project came up, which I, I wasn't expecting, but it was through an art consultant that I had worked with for many years. Um, so this, you know, relationship with them was seated maybe seven, eight years ago when I was in Maryland and they had sold a handful of paintings on and off over the years. So I think it really was a slow build and just um, getting to know them, developing a good working relationship. And then, you know, when this big project came up, they proposed my work for it. Um, it, you know, in a, in a way came up unexpectedly for me, but um, felt like it was many years in the making. And so, um, yeah, it really ended up that this one, one big commission um, came up where it, it really felt like um, I needed to focus on that full time. And it's given me um, that, that financial cushion to be able to, um, you know, focus on, on growing my painting practice full time. Um, so I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have, have this opportunity. Um, it, it definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, but I, I guess I would say for any artists that are, you know, trying to decide if they're, if they're ready, if they're in that place, um, I do think the, financial part of it was a re really big consideration and making sure that, you know, you have enough to meet your expenses, um, that you have a good buffer of savings for the next, you know, three, six months to a year, um, however much time you think you really need. Um, and that you have a plan and a strategy, I think is the other thing for building up um, or, or taking on new projects. Um, it, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of times uh, in this conversation around becoming a full-time artist, uh, you, it's described as like taking this leap of faith or this big risk. And, you know, in some ways it is, I think always making a big career change um, can, can feel a little bit scary, but I do think having a plan and a strategy in place and making sure that um, you know, you have all of your ducks in a row on the back end. Um, so you're not just stepping blindly onto this new path um, is, is a smart way to do it. Um, and that's, I think what I would recommend for, for any artist is just making sure that, you know, you feel like you're in that place. Yeah, for sure. Well, obviously congrats again on getting that project. I, I watched a lot of the behind the scenes that you posted on your Instagram, really going into detail of like, you know, what went into that project, which Again, I want to hop into in a little bit, um, and I'm excited yeah, to just to get thanks. a bunch of answers and ask a bunch of questions about that because it just turned out so freaking awesome. Um, and a lot Thank of artists you. don't really like share, you know, like all the little logistics that goes into it. So, and that's always like my favorite part to learn um, yes. from, from <laughs> artists. Uh, so, yeah. So, like now, how do you go about? getting, um, projects books or getting, you know, new clients or collectors. And has that, has your approach, you know, shifted a lot since you just recently, um, made that full-time jump or has it kind of like been the simple, uh, similar approach, uh, over like the past year? Yeah, I think, I think similar. And part of my hope with this project is that it would create some momentum and, you know, give me a, a sort of a big 
project in my portfolio or to have that experience under my belt to be able to go out and and seek out larger opportunities or similar sized projects. Um, I think before this project, I, um, you know, I really wanted to work at a large scale. Um, it, it felt like a, a dream opportunity to get to work on these massive 17 by 15 foot paintings, you know, the largest paintings on canvas I'd ever done. But um, before then, I, I think I was always looking for opportunities to try and expand my portfolio in that way. So whether it was for an exhibition or um, just, you know, personal projects I was doing in the studio, um, I tried to, I guess, leverage every opportunity that did come about, you know, for a show or like a temporary pop-up project. Um, to, to do something that was uh, new and different for me or to try and, you know, tackle an ambitious project um, so that I would have that type of work in my portfolio to show that, you know, I could work at a large scale or I could paint huge murals or do, you know, a large uh, sculptural installation. Um, so I guess, you know, on the portfolio side, um, that's one way that I've tried to um, generate new projects is just by, you know, sh visually showing the kind of work that I want, want to be doing more of. Um, and then I feel like um, just building relationships with um, people that are, um, you know, working on similar projects or, um, in my case, it's it's been a lot uh, through art consultants. So reaching out to share my work with them um, so that it can be included in proposals. Um, I think that's been one of the main methods that I've used for, you know, trying to um, to build up a steady stream of projects. Um, certainly sharing my work, um, you know, on things like Instagram and um, selling work directly. Um, or working with like a small variety of um, galleries or, you know, looking for opportunities to show my work. So I think all of those things kind of cumulatively help to, um, you know, to build your, um, build your portfolio and, and, you know, lead into other projects. But I think um, more proactively just trying to um, reach out to, to new consultants or designers or architects, you know, people that are working on the types of spaces or projects that I, I could see my work in. Right. Um, so that's, that's been the main method for me. Do you have any tips or recommendations for any um, artists listening right now, as far as like how to go about one, finding these art consultants or designers and how to go about you know, doing the outreach itself and sending their portfolio and putting their work in front of their eyes? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, social media is a great tool for that, you know, following people that you're interested in, um, not just other artists and their work, um, although that can be a method if you see people doing the kind of work that you want to be doing, you know, what kinds of clients are they working with or who are they collaborating with on projects, um, but also following, you know, collectors or galleries or, um, consultants or designers, you know, people that work with artists that, um, you know, might give you a sense of, of who's out there and what kinds of projects they're working on. 
Um, and then honestly, it's been a lot of Google searching for me, just looking at, you know, either who's local to me or, um, you know, what, what is, what's out there. Um, even just looking at local architecture firms or looking up, um, you know, art consultants along the West coast. Um, and then slowly, I think starting to build your own kind of personal database around, uh, people that are doing, um, you know, working with artists uh, who whose work you feel a connection to or working on projects similar to the ones you want to be doing. Um, and so it's, I think, really just as simple as that. And I've been just slowly building a, you know, a spreadsheet of contacts over time that I can return to or, um, you know, as once you've start, started to develop a relationship, you have a, a way to kind of track how that's evolving over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as the outreach, I think it it depends on, you know, whether this is a gallery or a consultant or, you know, if there are casual ways you can start to connect with them, um, like through Instagram, for example, uh, just, you know, engaging with what they're doing um, or, you know, visiting a gallery in person, if it's a place you want to work with. Um, with our consultants, sometimes they'll even have a submission process. So I think always doing a little bit of research to see if they have a way to, accept new work or, you know, a way to get your work in front of them that aligns with their process. Um, And sometimes it's just cold calling. So sending an email introduction, um, letting them know maybe how you discovered them, what, you know, what it is you like about what they're doing. um, And then including a link to your work or offering to share it with them. And if there's ever an opportunity to collaborate, you know, I'd I'd love to work together on something. Um, so that's a little glimpse into uh, what what it's looked like, um, at least for me. And I've, I've found that, you know, it, it definitely takes time. It's usually not an immediate, you know, you send out an email and somebody writes back uh, like, great, I'd, I'd love to work with you. Um, right. Although sometimes that's, and that's amazing, but more often I think it's, you know, great. Like we're, you know, we love what you're doing. We'd love to keep your work on our radar. Um, and then just keeping in touch with those contacts, you know, having an, an email newsletter for me, as simple as it sounds, has really, um, I think, over the years uh, allowed me to keep in touch with a lot of people that I've been in contact with. Um, and then, you know, you just keep them updated on what you're working on. And um, and then it eventually, I think that can lead into real opportunities or, you know, sales or commission projects. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's really key um, to everyone listening to that it's important to have like a spreadsheet or some sort of CRM that documents the people that you're, you know, outreaching to and reaching out to, whether it be the consultants or the galleries or art directors or whoever it may be, um, and organizing in a way, you know, where you're making notes and, you know, when did you last, you know, contact this person and, um, you know, follow up with them, like things like that. And I think a lot of creatives, you know, it's hard for us sometimes to operate from the business side of things when um, a spreadsheet as simple as that is just so important. And then also just so helpful uh, for yourself in the future when you're like, oh, dang, who did I reach out to that one time that wanted me to like follow up like in the next three months? And like, if you have the spreadsheet and you're actually, you know, diligent and disciplined on that, then you can have a system that can work really good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the question I love asking um, a lot of my guests, especially artists, since I'm an artist myself, 
um, is, you know, the topic of pricing because everyone does it differently. So I'm curious to know, mm-hmm. especially with a type of different type of work that you do since you've worked, you know, with installations and public spaces and uh, sculptures and paintings and murals, you kind of have a lot of experience in different areas. What is your method when it comes to pricing your services? Hey, Gangstar, sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true Gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're going to want to take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in, hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? All right. Thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I love this question um, because it is so difficult, I think, for creatives and the value of art can feel so subjective. And I understand that for many artists, it can bring up a lot of complicated feelings because we're so invested in the work that we make. Um, But I think just like you're saying, having some type of strategy or method for pricing your work uh, takes a little bit of that emotion out of it. And also just being realistic about your costs and what goes into producing it. Um, so it, it does vary from, um, uh, from discipline to discipline for me. So for paintings, um, that I, you know, make in my studio, it's, it's variable. I've, I've kind of, I guess, over the years come up with, um, a, a bit of a formula or like a sliding scale, um, rather based on either the square inch or the square foot, Mm-hmm. Um, of a painting so that I have some gauge based on the scale of the work. Um, but it varies from, you know, smaller works to larger works um, because I, I have such a range from, you know, making small like nine by 12 inch collages to larger eight by eight foot paintings. Um, so I, I've kind of experimented to see, you know, what makes sense so that it feels like the work is priced consistently. Um, and then of course you have to factor in that 50% that typically, uh, you know, an, an art consultant or a gallerist would take if you're selling work through those venues. So I try and, um, price the paintings in a way, um, that is, is based on scale, Um, When it comes to project-based work, though, I I definitely approach pricing differently um, because there are more um, logistical costs, I guess, associated with doing commissioned work. Um, You know, the work that I'm making out of my studio, I'm sort of um, factoring the, the overhead, I guess we'll call it, like the cost of running my studio or, you know, buying paints and, and canvas as just like a part of my overall expenses um, if I'm trying to budget, you know, for the month or the year. Um, but with projects, I really treat it differently. And so I think it's helpful to know what goes into, let's say, making a, a large mural or creating like a sculptural installation. Um, so I really tried anytime I've done a personal project, um, and usually that is how it starts. It's like a a big ambitious personal project where you're Mm -hmm. investing a lot into it initially, right. Or you're sort of doing, doing it in a more DIY way, um, to, to sort of, you know, figure out how how could I make this work or, and then when it comes time for that commission project, you really want to do things the right way. Um, so 
you know, um, making sure you're being realistic about what, what those costs actually were. Um, but just, just sort of tracking that throughout every project, like how much did I actually spend on materials? Um, how much time did I spend installing it? Uh, you know, what, what's really required to like pull off a similar project. Um, so that kind of gives me some frame of reference. And then when it comes to quoting a project um, where, you know, maybe you have to work with, uh, with uh, other people or fabricators. Um, so for this last big painting project, for example, um, you know, I hired a, a studio to, to fabricate the stretcher bars. Um, that's not something that I personally could do. Um, but, you know, sourcing the, the cost of the canvas, um, getting a quote on, you know, what it would cost to fabricate the stretcher bars and then, um, things like, um, installation. So installing the canvases or shipping, um, you know, these aren't things I necessarily just know offhand, but if, um, I'm contacted about a project, I can sort of quickly reach out and try and get other quotes so that I can factor that into, you know, my, my project fee. Um, so for murals, it's usually based on the square foot, um, you know, so I'd have a range, uh, based on the scale, um, for sculptural installations, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of quickly estimating how much like the materials costs are going to be, um, again, if I would need to hire help with installation, mm -hmm. um, I think really it comes down to just trying to estimate out what your expenses are going to be. Um, and that often becomes a big part of your, you know, your budget. Um, I would say, you know, between 20 to 50% of a project fee, I would, um, you know, mark for that, that's like your artist fee for, for your own time and labor. Um, I, I try not to forget about taxes because that's such a, a big part of your take home. So, you know, I, I take 30% of the budget after those expenses and, you know, that's, that's just for, for the IRS. Um, <laughs> and then I would it. say, yeah, if you can build in like at least a 10 to 20% contingency for all of those other costs that are bound to come up that are sort of, you know, hard to anticipate in advance. Um, and then like, see what that number is, you know, and um, I, I always try and give a range when quoting projects too. So you're not committed to any number right out the gate. But if, you know, if you get an inquiry about a project, um, you can do your calculations and then see, okay, I would, you know, I would charge between 10 to 15,000 for a project of this scale or between 20 to 25 or, you know, whatever it is so that there's some flexibility there. Um, and then you can have a conversation or, you know, always ask what their budget is up front. I think that's helpful to figure out, um, or to compare, but, um, that feels like a long-winded way of talking about what goes into the projects. But, um, yeah, I think for, for, for project-based work, really, um, kind of narrowing in on what your expenses are. No, that's awesome. And thanks so much for diving into kind of basically each, you know, vertical or discipline, as you say, um, as to how you go about each, because there's like no one right answer out there. And there isn't a lot of answers in general from artists. So I love that you were able to kind of provide insight to, you know, different um, disciplines and verticals of, you know, what you do as far as your creative craft goes. For artists, I think it is helpful to have some kind of a, a method or a system. Um, even if you 
you know, break away from that from time to time, like based on whatever this client's budget is, or, um, you know, based on any number of things, if you, if you want to offer a discount for certain clients, you know, that's within your power to do that. But I think having some kind of a, a system, um, not only allows you to, you know, make sure that, that you're, um, valuing your work as a creative, um, you know, have, having a minimum that you, that you don't go below. Um, but it also allows you to have a, a conversation with this client. So if their budget is smaller than what you would typically quote for a project of that scale, well, then you can talk about ways to sort of scale back the, the work or the scope of, of the project or the scale of what you're doing in order to meet their budget. Um, you know, I think it becomes a less emotional conversation than trying to just um, ascribe a value to what it is you're doing, but um, it gives you a way to kind of calculate, um, you know, what your, uh, again, what your costs are or what, um, you know, different types of projects um, might go for. And then you can make a determination if, you know, this project is going to be the right fit um, whether or not they have the budget for it, or if there's a way that you can sort of meet in the middle or, um, you know, collaborate to um, make sure that both, both parties are happy. Yeah. And I love that you kind of shared too, and touched on, you know, like when you do have that conversation, like it, it kind of helps knowing, you know, what goes into the project and kind of having that confidence around the budget based off of what their budget is, but also just kind of knowing from experience how much certain things cost as far as like not have being like emotional in the negotiation or like, you know, the, the sales conversation, so to speak. And you had mentioned something earlier, which I think is important too. So I think it was, it's important for these types of calls to actually have documentation of what your experience was like on a project. And I know that's been very important for me, you know, doing murals. I always at the, at the end of each day that I'm working on a project, I always like um, write notes as far as, you know, how long did it take me to do, you know, this part of the mural. And then I have like detailed notes in it so that in the future, I can always refer back to my notes and know, okay, well, I have this potential project coming up that's very similar to this project. Let me see how long it actually took me to do this. And let me see how much actually it costs for all the supplies to do this, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's important mm -hmm. for anybody listening to document, you know, the things that they're doing. And even if you're just starting out, if it's just like you painting a painting, like document how much, you know, the supplies were, how much time it took you, um, and then obviously when you get into these conversations where you're talking with the client around budget and, you know, trying to basically close the deal, you can feel more confident in those conversations because you know exactly how much these things cost or how much, you know, of time and effort and blood, sweat and tears are going to go into something like this. And you can say, you know, confidently no to certain things and you can just be confident in saying yes to, you know, certain things. So I think it's really cool that you also touched on that. Yeah, I agree completely. Now, something that was um, really helpful for me when I was starting out as an artist uh, and as I was like researching um, different artists' careers, I loved hearing uh, people share, you know, the different, like how much they made from certain projects. And like, I know a lot of artists are being more transparent and how much they charge and things like that. So I'm curious to know if you don't mind sharing, like what are some of the biggest budgets that you've gotten to work with um, and like what discipline was that? Because I think as, you know, a new artist or someone just kind of figuring out their way, some people think, you know, like 
the most you can make from a mural is only like a thousand dollars when it's like, no, you know, or like when it comes to, you know, having that conversation because they have that mindset, they feel scared Mm -hmm. or nervous or unconfident to like want to charge, you know, more than that thousand dollar random mark that's in their head. And I think when you hear other artists share, you know, budgets that they're able to work with, it kind of opens your mind to the possibilities of what can be, you know, your future. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I've definitely benefited from the transparency of other artists. And I think it really has shaped um, my own thinking around um, what's possible. And, and again, just getting a more realistic picture of, you know, what actually goes into a project um, and what, what are the actual costs? So I think it's really changed for me over the years, you know, when I was doing those commercial mural projects, I think our biggest budget was like $15,000 for an entire, um, I mean, these were, these were probably like, you know, five to 6,000 square foot offices. And we were painting these, illustrative kind of cartoony scenes throughout the entire office. And so, um, you know, when you broke it down, we weren't making very much money, but um, it did give us uh, sort of a consistent um, amount to then backtrack, um, you know, how, how much time do we need to complete this in, in order to, you know, if we only have two months or three months, um, we have to get this done by. So I think, um, just uh, connecting back to what you were saying earlier about um, tracking tracking your time and your expenses. Um, that that's sort of where I started and, and gave me a lot of experience doing that. Um, and so when I was doing mural painting, we would come up with these project fees, and I think our um, our square foot footage cost was maybe like between twenty to thirty dollars a square foot. Um, but when I moved away from commercial mural painting, I um, you know, I was really focused on my, my own painting in the studio. Um, I think when I was in Baltimore, I was selling work for maybe between like, you know, two to $3,000, um, was like a large, you know, a large sale for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had a lot of smaller works that, you know, I'd be selling for maybe two to $500. Um, that was sort of average, uh, when I moved out to San Francisco, I had gotten some advice from some art consultants I was working with to increase the price of my work. And that felt really scary because that. it was a pretty big leap. Um, but yeah, in hindsight, I really appreciate the recommendation. And so I, I did, you know, I had these paintings, um, large works that I was making, maybe priced around five, $5,000. And um, I, I pretty much doubled or even tripled that. So for you know, a large painting between um, 10, 10 to 15 grand um, was sort of the, the new range. Um, but again, you know, this is typically through an art consultant or a gallerist. So the, the artist net is 50% of that. Um, but still, you know, it, it probably took me a couple of years um, from when I made that change to when I sort of first sold a painting um, at that price point. So I, I spent a lot of time doubting whether I had made the right decision, you know, whether I'd increased my, the price of my work too much. Um, and then, you know, meanwhile, I was taking on lots of other smaller projects or um, I think as, you know, tends to happen, you, you know, you're, you get a small stipend to do for like a, you know, a thousand dollars to do a project and you end up just investing a lot of your own time and energy into it um, and money so that you can, either get that portfolio piece or, 
right. use it as a springboard into the next thing. So there was definitely a lot of time spent um, just personally investing into projects and, and really not seeing a huge return on them. Um, but eventually, you know, I did sell a painting at that price point and then uh-huh. that sort of becomes the new, you know, the price of your work. And, um, I still, you know, I want to make sure my work is accessible. So I, I make a lot of smaller works, um, that I can sell to friends and family, but I think that transition can be hard to start to price your work at a level that maybe you personally can't afford. Um, you know, I'm not purchasing $15,000 paintings, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that, there aren't collectors or clients out there that, that are. And so I think um, just shifting your mindset around, you know, the, the price of your work and um, that's been really huge. So, so that's, you know, I guess how my, the price of my paintings has grown over time. Um, But for project-based work, um, like I said, that's really where I saw the potential for these bigger budgets. Um, You know, I would see these open calls for public art projects on um, things like, you know, websites like Call for Entry or Coda Works, or, you know, a lot of local arts councils will have open calls for artists. And some of these budgets were, you know, 100,000, 200,000, or even a million dollars. And that just seemed so... um, you know, like those just seemed like uh, blank check budgets to me. And so (laughs) without really understanding what would go into creating a project like that, um, it it did give me like something to aspire to at least. And I think oftentimes with those open calls, you know, you have to sort of have a certain number of projects and they do ask you what, what kinds of budgets you've worked with. Um, So it's, it feels like it can be hard to break into that because you, you sort of have to build up to it. Um, at the start of 2020, so right before the pandemic, I'd actually been commissioned to do a, um, a big sculptural installation that was similar to a gallery piece I did a few years back. And I think the budget for that was around 25,000. And at the time that was, that was the largest you know, commission project I'd ever taken on. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was really exciting. And we had you know, gone through the design phase, we were about to begin fabrication. And that's when COVID hit. So that project ended up getting canceled, unfortunately. Um, But so I, you know, I'd had the 50% deposit, um, (laughs) but the the rest of the project, you know, never came to fruition. Um, So it was, yeah, it was, you know, disappointing at the time. But, um, but then at the start of this year, 2021 is when this, this really large painting commission came about. Um, and this was the first six figure project that I quoted and the first one that I landed. Um, so yeah, it was really huge for me. And and that really changed everything because again, I really was anticipating that I would sort of build up a steady stream of these, you know, five figure projects until I felt like I had enough coming in that I could potentially leave my day job. And so I was still working full time um, in in higher education when this initial uh, like installation project came about. Um, So really just doing, um, you know, doing it all as a side hustle and working nights and weekends. Um, But then, you know, this this big project came that was, you know, far exceeded my salary at my current job. And it really, you know, it had a tight turnaround. So in order to meet the deadline, there was just no way that I, um, you know, I could squeeze it in on nights and weekends. (laughs) So I really had to make that choice of whether I was going to go all in with this project or, um, you know, keep keep this juggling act going. And so I just feel grateful that it 
you know, it provided me enough runway to be able to um, confidently make that decision. Um, so that's, that's sort of where I'm at most recently. And again, the idea is that it leads into other things, but I still fully expect that I'm going to have to continue to be proactive and, you know, reaching out to people and, um, you know, generating other projects. Um, so that's, that's sort of where I am now. And we just installed that, um, about a month and a half ago. So I'm still, um, kind of in this lull where I'm, setting up my studio in San Francisco and slowly starting to work on new projects. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just starting to line things up for the future. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Thank you so much for being like transparent and dropping those numbers. And, um, I just, one, I wanted to make a note, like kudos to that art consultant who told you to raise your prices, because I know obviously that's yeah. more money for them to keep if you don't raise your prices. So that's really cool that, you know, she wanted to help you out and look out for you. And that was something that kind of helped, you know, increase your confidence as far as, you know, valuing your work and things like that. And I think that's so yeah. important. Um, and then just, that's so awesome. That, like, I, again, congrats on this, this big project. Um, I'm curious to know, is this like, for this project specifically, and for everybody listening, if you want to know what project we're we're talking about, it's one of the for most recent posts. She has like a bunch of posts about uh, it's like two big canvas murals um, that are displayed. It's in a lobby, right? Of a is it a hotel? Yeah, for a newly renovated lobby. It's um like a mixed use office space in Washington D.C. Awesome. Yeah. So for for like. A project like that, and this was your first like six figure quote. Um, mm -hmm. Does it take does it take a long time to like put that quote together? And then when you're coming into like the call to like present this quote and go over it with the clients or the art consultant, is it like typically was it like a lot of back and forth? Is there a lot of like explaining as far as like behind you know your work and why that would be best for you know the, the lobby and things like that is it just working quote discussing this with the art consultant or is it also the people that own the building like what are the kind of inside scoops I guess of that process yeah I had like 24 hours to put together this quote and no way it was so scary they reached out and you know sorry this is so last minute we're we're pitching work next week and you know we're, we're just trying to get an idea so I think I think this email came in on a Friday and I just immediately started calling around to uh, fabricators um, or, or like framers to see I had no idea you know what it would even cost to uh create the, the custom-made stretcher bars for something that large. They had um, the specifications beforehand of like how big of the canvases they want, or was that something that you proposed? Yeah. So they gave me a, you know, here's, here's the project. It's these two 17 by 15 foot paintings. And um, I think they might've sent me like a render of the lobby and, you know, they, so they give like a brief overview, but, um, and that, you know, here's when we're planning to install it and, um, is this possible? Could, could you work on the scale? And so, um, I, you know, I think it's kind of one of those things you say yes to before you really have worked out all the details, like, sure, I can work at that scale, no problem. But then, you know, you're trying to figure out like, where could I rent a studio this big that I could even paint these and right. you know, how much is it going to cost for canvas and stretcher bars? So I think I spent that, you know, that day just researching and trying to come up with some ballparks. Um, Did they give you a budget number that they wanted this to be around? They're like, can you do this? And then can you just provide us a quote? 
Yeah, sometimes, yes. Um, so in this case, they asked for a quote. Um, you know, I gave this range that I was really nervous about and they got back to me, um, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, we should have shared this earlier. You know, here's a hundred thousand. That's the budget. Um, it, you know, is this possible? And it, this, that was actually in the range that I had quoted um, just based on, you know, trying to figure out what, what the project costs would be, um, you know, what, what I needed, uh, like, scaffolding or scissor lifts, you know, renting a space and right. um, all of these things. So you're just trying to kind of quickly assemble information and then kind of multiplying out to uh, the price of smaller works. So if, okay, the biggest painting I'd done up to that point was like eight by eight feet. So if I were to, you know, multiply the price of that painting, roughly how much would it be? Um, so that that's kind of how I, I, you know, I put together and I think the range I gave was like between 85 to 110 or something like that. Um, so fortunately, you know, that the, the budget matched with, you know, what I was proposing. And um, I initially was just communicating through the art consultants. Um, and this is often how it goes to, you know, they're, they're getting hired by the client. Um, and I say the client because you, you don't even know who they are initially. They just, mm. you know, sometimes for disclosure purposes, they just, you know, they're reaching out to find out about the, the artwork, but you don't really know a lot about the project <laughs> or who you're working with. Um, and most of the communication is happening through, you know, through, through these art consultants that you're working with. Um, um, not always, you know, sometimes I've worked directly with a business or a business owner. Um, if, if they are commissioning you as the artist, you know, they want to work specifically with you. But sometimes it's, you know, they're hiring these consultants and then they're putting together work that they think that would be a good fit for the space um, and, you know, proposing your work along with other artists. And then the client can sort of select from there, you know, what they like. And um, so it, it's a little bit of a conversation, but usually... Um, I'm not part of those initial discussions, um, but luckily, you know, this, this project did work out. And so once they decided, you know, they wanted to move forward, then, um, you know, you're signing contracts and, you know, getting the, the initial deposit. Um, so you can start the, the design process, um, but that's still all happening through the art consultant. And I did have one phone call with the, the CEO of this company and, you know, some of their, um, some of their people when we were nearing the end of the design phase. Mm. Um, but that was really the only point of interaction I had with them until we were installing the work in person. And, you know, I got to meet some people out in DC, but um, most of it is all happening through, um, through the consultant. So they're really like your collaborators. And, you know, in this case, they were helping to coordinate shipping and installation because they were local and, um, oh, you know, awesome. this project was across the country. So I think, um, that's sort of how I view the, you know, the consultants, they are, they're hiring you as the artist, but they're also your collaborators on these right. projects. It helps that they're a creative too. And they have, they're like, they have this vision and you're basically the person they're hiring to kind of see it to fruition. So I could see that being like a really good collaboration versus how some um, difficulties come up when working directly, you know, with a non-creative or like the client business owner. Yeah, I think it can help to have an advocate um, sometimes yeah. or, you know, people that are sort of help, you know, helping to, um, they can speak both languages. They're talking to these, you know, these companies, maybe non-creatives, um, and then they're also working with you as the artist. So it's, it's definitely a really, um, 
particular skill set. Um, it's it's helpful to have in your court, but um, I do think always, you know, having to advocate for yourself as an as an artist is important. And um, another example is, you know, I just got an inquiry for um, for another big painting project um, through an art consultant, and they shared their budget, which was I think between thirteen or fifteen thousand, which sounds like a lot, you know, but. Um, but then, you know, come to realize it's meant to include the, the painting along with the stretcher bars and the cost of framing the final piece. So having just gone through a similar project, I, I now know what those costs are. And I can say, you know, actually that th this budget that you have um, only will cover the cost of framing and stretcher bars. And so, um, you know, I, here's what I would probably quote for a project of that scale. And um, and then, you know, they may have to help educate their client a little bit. Um, so even when they propose a budget to you, sometimes they don't, um, nobody knows better than you as the artist, the cost of what, what's going to go into producing the work. So I do think that um, sometimes you get lucky and, you know, you quote something or it's perfectly aligned with the client's budget. But I think a lot of times you end up having to, you um, you know, help educate them on why something is, is, you know, going to be what it is. And um, again, I think this can be hard for creatives, but um, really knowing what, what the costs are allows you to say, you know, unfortunately I can't do this project for under, you know, 15 grand or, or whatever the, the amount is. Yeah, for sure. And thanks again for sharing all of these good juicy details. I love it. I love it so much. Um, so I'm excited to just dive even deeper into, you know, the behind the scenes of this specific project. Now, I know working with big projects, um, especially if there's a lot of people involved, whether it's like, you know, the art consultant or a middleman and the, and the client um, for this particular instance, but what did like the timeline look like first? So how long did it take for, you know, for them to reach out to you, you put the quote together, then to say, yes, you actually get the payment before you got started, like for this actually mm -hmm. be locked in, how long did that process take? And then how long did the process take, you know, to actually get the ball rolling in, you know, getting the space and then mm -hmm. getting all the supplies before you actually started painting. And then how long did the painting, you know, take? And then how long did the installation process? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times it's dictated by whatever, you know, usually they have some kind of deadline. It's like, here's when we want to install it or like, you know, I think also, also because the, the artwork is often part of, um, you know, maybe it's a big building renovation or, you know, they're, they're reopening um, a lot, you know, this building or something like that. So they need the artwork installed by a certain date. So um, I think in the past, it's often been dictated by whatever their deadline is, unfortunately. Um, but sometimes I know with big projects like this, they can tend to drag out for a long time or, you know, maybe they're engaging the artists pretty early in the process and the building is still under construction or whatever it is. So um, this one had a, had a pretty tight turnaround, but I, I kind of appreciated that it all happened so fast. Um, so I got that initial email in, I, I think, February of this year, uh, 2021. And um, there was some back and forth, uh, like February, March. Um, and I think sometime in March is when I found out that I got the project. So we were, you know, I think signing the contract and then um, waiting for that initial deposit before starting any work. 
Um, I also wanted to make sure that I had already deposited the check before I put in my two weeks notice at my day job. Um, because, you know, having just been through COVID and, and having had a project just get canceled the year before halfway through, um, I definitely didn't want to take any chances. So, um, I left my job in the middle of April, um, and at that point I had, I'd received the deposit. So we were just starting, um, to design, uh, the work. And I think that took about a month or so. Um, but meanwhile, you know, I was trying to secure a temporary studio space, um, that I could paint these in. I was, you know, starting to source materials. Um, I, was researching the stretcher bars. Um, so, you know, I was talking with a local studio um, that agreed to do it. And so as soon as that check comes in, you know, some of it's going out because I had to purchase materials and put right. in a deposit on the stretcher bars. So you're kind of getting the ball rolling with some of these other um, people that, you know, you're, you're working with in order to meet these deadlines. Um, and I think, I'm trying to think back now, um, around May or May is when I started the actual painting. Um, but really the majority of the, so there's probably like four to five months, um, from start to finish. And the majority of that time was just, you know, trying to get approval on the designs, getting everything set up, like moving into this new warehouse, hanging the canvas, priming it. Um, the actual painting itself took, uh, six weeks where I was pretty much working every day. Um, but then, you know, meanwhile, the stretcher bars are getting fabricated. So there's kind of other things happening simultaneously. Right. And um, the shipping was also pretty fast. So I think I, we deinstalled the work. Um, so I had, you know, a team of art handlers come in to take these paintings off, off the wall. Um, they were stapled to the, you know, the walls of this warehouse, um, roll them up on a giant tube. And uh, we document, or no, we documented them that I finished the paintings on a Friday. We documented them that weekend. This was over 4th of July. Um, Tuesday, they got deinstalled. Um, Wednesday, the stretcher bars were delivered uh, to the warehouse that I was working in. And then Friday, everything got picked up and shipped out to DC. So it was really back to back. And then I think like a week or two later, I, you know, flew out to meet them uh, on the other side. And so, you know, then they had their, their team of installers to uh, assemble and stretch the works on site um, and then hang them in the lobby that they were going to live in. So it was, I think, February to July was the entire um, timeframe of the project. But the first couple of months were really just, um, you know, communications uh, researching, you know, you know, finding space and sort of trying to get everything set up. Um, so the actual painting was just, you know, one, one six week stretch. Um, and then the last, I think three, three or four weeks was the, um, having them shipped out and installed. Wow. That's so cool. So it's like a five, well, like, yeah, a five month project, five to six months Mm -hmm. all in all. You made mm-hmm. all that happen. Did you have like any assistance? Did you hire any help for this other than obviously, you know, like the third parties? Um, was anybody there to help you paint or, you know, do any of the the logistics part or is it all you? 
Um, I did not hire any studio assistants. I think I might in the future if another similar project <laughs> comes up. Um, I just, I didn't really know what, um, yeah, a lot of it was painting once I finally got to the studio, but I think those, those other partners were invaluable. You know, there were definitely things I, I couldn't do on my own, um, like hanging the canvases. Uh, so there was, you know, I think a team of, um, three, three or four people that, uh, helped, in, you know, assemble the scaffolding and, uh, install the canvas. And then, um, who does that? who do you look for that, that does that? Is it just like, um, yeah, there are, um, I would say like art shipping and handling companies, um, are a great, uh, great people to get familiar with and, <laughs> um, really, uh, you know, unique skill sets, um, people that install work. And, um, so often there's, there's, um, our, our local companies, especially if you're living in a city. Um, so I had, um, yeah, team of art installers to install the work and then same thing on the other side. Um, there are also specialty art sh uh, shippers that will transport artwork. That's, that's their specialty. Um, you know, as opposed to just sending like a giant, uh, crate or a canvas via freight, um, with with other you know objects so I think if you're uh, transporting artwork a lot you, you probably start to work with um, kind of specialty art shippers uh, so that was another thing that we you know we did a lot of research on and getting different quotes and you know who, who can meet the deadline and you're, you're trying to find the best rate and um, and so some companies will sort of do everything they'll you know deinstall and pack and create the work and ship it um, and then some companies will, will just do one or the other. So we actually had to hire one company to come and deinstall them. Um, so take them off the walls, roll and pack the paintings. And then another company that would pick it up and um, create it and then ship it cross country. Mm, wow, that's so cool. I don't know if you put this, those stories in your highlights, but she had shared the behind the scenes on our Instagram that I saw. And I was like, wow, I've never yeah. seen like this process. It was just so fascinating to see like all the work, you know, that goes into that part of it. Cause you know, as a creative, you're excited to just create and do the work and paint or whatever it is that you do. But then like all the other stuff to me is just as impressive. Yeah, it was such such a learning experience, and I'm also really fascinated by everything else that goes into you know producing artwork and just seeing the behind the scenes of installations and you know how how other artists um, create their work. And so um, I would say, and I feel like this is also just kind of indicative of life as a creative. You know, even as a quote unquote full full time artist or painter only a fraction of your work is actually spent painting in the studio. You yeah. know, it's all these other things that really take up um, a lot, if not the majority of your time. And I think that's been really true for, for me in these last six months um, since I've kind of made this transition is that um, the painting itself has, has just been one part of it, but it's really um, most, most of my time is, you know, spent on all those other logistics and, I don't think that's something I realized um, earlier on or, you know, when I thought about what it would look like to be a, a full-time painter. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the, like the big takeaways from this project, like the biggest lessons you learned from this? And then was there anything that you would do differently um, for, you know, a project of this size the next time? I know you had mentioned like you'd possibly hire, you know, assist, art, art assistants to help with the painting. Um, so what were those things that you learned and what would you do different next time? 
Yeah. Um, so much, I mean, just all, all, you know, the parts of this process that we've just been talking about. Um, I, you know, I'd never done anything like it. And so it was really just researching and, um, you know, figuring it all out and applying things learned from other projects. And, um, so I, I think that's been the biggest takeaway is just realizing everything that goes into it, um, you know, from start to finish. Uh, so, so that's, really been the, the biggest learning experience is knowing who, um, w- what a collaboration it is, you know, even if you're working independently as an artist or working at a large scale, um, you know, you'll, you need help with, with certain things. And so um, just the amount of collaboration that is involved, whether it's working with the art consultants and, you know, like more on the communication side or collaborating with other you know, people and fabricators to help, you know, produce certain parts of the work. Um, I think that's something that I've, I've really realized. So going forward, just making sure that you have, um, have good partners and good, good relationships. You know, I think that's something that you also develop over time, but, um, you know, just sort of keeping up with those people that are, are good to work with. And I feel really fortunate with this project that, you know, I had so many great people around me, um, like, you know, this, this amazing team of art consultants that I've gotten to work with over the years and um, this local studio that built the stretcher bars. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to other opportunities to work with them in the future. And um, I think just sort of keeping those relationships going is, you know, something that I would want to want to do in the future. Um, And then again, just being really, I think the other big takeaway just has to do with um, the financial end of really, really knowing what goes into it. You know, when I first quoted this project, I was, um, you know, I I came up with that number and it it felt really big and scary, but I, I felt like that, you know, was what the project would involve. And now having gone through it, I really um, can confirm that, you know, there's a lot of costs associated with shipping work cross country and, um, just getting materials, uh, at that scale. So, um, I think it's given me a much stronger understanding going into future projects of, um, you know, what, what's really involved, um, in, in every part of the process. And so just being able to speak to that when, you know, qu- quoting other projects, um, is something I think I'll, I'll also take away. Did you have any like, oh shit moments? Cause I know like with every project, there's always just something that goes wrong or like some moment where you're like, I'll make sure I'm not, I don't do that next time. Um, did you have many or any of those moments during this project at all? You know, I think I just felt so ready for a project like this, that even the things that came up didn't feel as stressful, um, to me as they could have been. Um, I, I've definitely had stressful moments and, you know, I can think of other past projects that have, um, there've been more red flags or, you know, things haven't really gone so well, but I just think, um, when this project came about, uh, I was coming out of a really dry period in the studio, you know, throughout 2020, I was really lucky to have a job and be able to work remotely that whole time. Um, but I, you know, it was also really draining and I think we were all suffering from this collective burnout. And so I think for me, I, you know, I just didn't have the energy to really make much work at all in the studio on top of my full-time job. And so I was really kind of craving an opportunity like this and ready to jump into it. So, um, 
I, I think the biggest stress was just the the timeline. You know, everything was so fast. I found a studio um, or like a warehouse to work in and like a week later moved in. So, you know, the sort of close, like we were cutting it close with a lot of things and um, the shipping was probably the most stressful. I think just realizing um, how much time and um, what a big expense that is, uh, you know, probably like 20% of the project budget at least. So I would say um, in the future to uh, just be aware of that. I, you know, as, as a painter, I'm, I'm not often thinking about how I'm going to get my work eventually to its final destination. It's just <laughs> like, oh, you'll figure, you know, you'll figure that out later. But right. I think, um, yeah, trying to meet um, meet these deadlines and, you know, try and find a company that could ship it within like a week's time. Um, that, I mean, that was probably the most, most stressful moment, but, um, you know, we made it happen and um, it's good to know in the future. Yeah, for sure. With your work, you do a lot of, um, it's like abstract, organic shapes, a lot of mark making. I'm curious to know what methods you use to translate like your marks onto large scale murals or large scale canvases. I'm sure you mm. probably figured out or discovered some new ways to do that um, with this recent project. So as someone who also um, incorporates a lot of abstract mark making into their work, and I'm sure a lot of listeners do, and I also do murals, um, always fascinating mm -hmm. to see how people translate you know that onto bigger scale because it's so much harder to figure out you know you know what's something that was so easy and just took a flick of the wrist on the canvas you can't really do that yeah. on like a wall so I'm curious to know what those uh, methods that you've discovered along the way are yeah and it's so much slower which I think mm -hmm. you know I, the way I work in the studio is also really intuitive and you're right you can just sort of make this big sweeping gesture across the canvas in a few seconds. Whereas when you're scaling up your work or maybe working on scaffolding, it's, it's a lot slower to, so I think trying to recreate that sense of speed or spontaneity on the canvas, um, it can be challenging because you're, you know, starting a mark in like the top corner, and then you've got to get down <laughs> off the scaffolding, move it over, go yeah. back up and continue the mark. So it's just a lot, um, the process can feel a little disjointed. Um, but I think, you know, something that helped uh, me was, and because it was a commission too, where, you know, I was creating these digital sketches or studies using Procreate um, to show them what the work could look like. Um, and then, you know, I had all of these layers uh, to, to work off of. So I, I had a plan going into the actual painting of, you know, what it was going to look like and how I, you know, I could already be thinking about how I would approach it. So I think that made it a little easier and made the scale feel less intimidating. Um, and then as far as tools, um, I mean, one of my favorite things is uh, the, I've been using this um, paint, paint sprayer, um, mm. like for paint and stains. Uh, I think the brand is Wagner. And um, that's been a really fun way to scale up some of the um, spray painted marks. Um, so I, I do work with some spray paint, but um, I work in a lot of layers and it's it's more atmospheric. So I was using kind of regular spray paint um, partially for these paintings, but I was also using this large uh, paint sprayer where you can create like a, you know, a, a foot diameter um, mark. And you can sort of um, you know, water it down or put a medium in it so that 
um, you know, it just, it goes on really smoothly. And so that was one of the, um, one of the tools that I used and, um, then really just different spray paints. And, you know, I had some large brushes. Um, but other than that, the tools were pretty much the same. Um, I think it was more a matter of just, uh, you know, scaling up the marks and, um, some, some of that was sort of worked out in the, um, the design phase, you know, it was partly to show the client what the paintings were going to look like, Mm -hmm. but I think that process was also important for me to think through how I was going to approach the paintings so that when I got to the actual canvas, I, I kind of already had a sense of, you know, how I was going to make this mark or, um, you know, what, what I wanted it to look like. Gotcha. I don't know if it was one of your videos or another artist, um, a muralist, but I saw somebody using like, um, I haven't used, I haven't used a paint sprayer, but that's on my list of things to use. I haven't had the right project uh, to use it for yet, but I love that you shared the insight of like you being able to like water it down and put different mediums in it. But I also Mm -hmm. saw somebody, like I said, I don't know if it was you or somebody else, but they had like a, what's like a, a push broom and they were making marks with like a big, oh, I did that for a mural. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh, that is cool. I wonder how well that worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked okay. I actually, um, I, I did that for a mural um, at the end of last year. And um, yeah, I really was trying to find just, just a way to make like a giant brush stroke. And right. <laughs> um, with the, the last commission, even though the paintings were really large, I, I didn't have any I guess, um, you know, brushed marks that were that scale. So I, I, I pretty much used regular, um, you know, I had some like heavy duty brushes, um, but nothing, nothing that big. And so for that one, I, yeah, I just brought like a, a broom from the hardware store, um, to see how it would work. And, uh, it was very slow. It, it doesn't, um, it's not the most consistent, but if you want sort of a giant, like dry brush effect, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was fun to experiment with and I wish they did make large scale <laughs> brushes like that for mural right. painting, but, um, yeah, I've seen other, uh, muralists or other painters to, uh, sort of invent their own tools with, you know, making like giant squeegees or, um, like, you know, cutting up or attaching giant rollers or foam rollers together, um, which I haven't you know, done any of that, but I am, I'm always uh, fascinated by watching how other, other artists scale up their process. And, um, someone else that I was really looking to, especially when, you know, trying to create that feeling of spontaneity working on such a large scale. Um, I was looking at artists like Frank Stella or Katerina Grossi, who, uh, you know, all of her work is just this, these sort of giant color field paintings in real space. And, um, so she's using just these, these giant paint sprayers, um, which, you know, what I was using was like a smaller handheld version of that, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure some muralists have also, you know, used a giant sprayer to create their work. But, um, I think any of those tools that can kind of extend your, um, you know, the, the span of your mark into something that's like larger than life size or like bigger than your own body is, um, another way to kind of scale up. And I'm really interested by artists who, who can do that. 
Yeah, me too. So I had to ask if there was like any discoveries along your way. Cause when I saw that broom thing, I was like, man, I want to try that. That looks fun to, to test out. <laughs> yeah, it was very, it was fun. It was very slow. Um, very, you really have to load it up. Like there's a lot of, um, paint required to make, um, just, yeah, a small section, but, um, if you're looking for just a big dry brush effect, I think, I think it could work. Yeah. Well, I figured because it, I'm assuming it's not that absorbent, so it probably, yeah, (laughs) cool. It was a little messy, but, um, as we're coming to the end of our, our, our conversation, is there any like last bits of parting advice you want to share with the Gangstar creative listeners? Oh, great question. I feel like we've covered so much and I, I just appreciate, you know, how open and honest you are and how much transparency you bring to this conversation around what it yeah. really looks like to make a living as an artist. And it's something I really love to talk about too. And so um, hopefully just by, I think, you know, I've really benefited from and, and learned from other artists um, and that's sort of the greatest learning tool that we have. So um, I think just seeking out that that kind of knowledge has been really the most impactful for me. And, um, you know, taking that same curiosity that we have in the studio and applying it to our creative careers um, can can be really transformative. And, you know, all these things like these changes that sort of happen slowly over time, you know, it definitely didn't happen overnight for me. But um, I think just the the recognition that, you know, your, your creative career is cumulative and these things will kind of slowly snowball over time um, has just, it's been reinforced for me. And I, you know, feel a little less anxious or stressed than I did um, when I was starting out, just not knowing what the next steps were going to be. And I sort of realize now that's just part of the process and what it is to be a creative. So um, I think being, being comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty, um, you know, that's one of our superpowers as artists. And, um, I think I've, I've learned to get more comfortable with, with that unknown space over time, but it's still, um, something I have to remind myself of that, you know, this is really natural and, um, there may never be a point where you just feel like you've fig- figured everything out, you know, when you're sort of inventing your own career as you go. Um, it's always going to feel a little bit um, uncertain, but uh, I think that, you know, being able to sort of live in that ambiguous space is really powerful. Oh, I love that. I love that. And everybody listening, her, Nicole and another artist, they have a podcast called Beyond the Studio Podcast that has a similar mission, you know, to yes. annihilate the status quo of the starving artists and really pull the curtain back. I am a subscriber of the podcast and I love a lot of the episodes that I've heard so far. So definitely, if you like listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, definitely go subscribe and check out their episodes. They have a lot of amazing creatives on there that give you all the knowledge and all the tips and advice too. Um, so I just love that more creatives are starting to be transparent and really like get other, other artists and creatives to kind of pull back that curtain too. So we're kind of all in this together, you know? Yeah. Thank you for the shout out. Yeah. I I appreciate it. And, um, like you said, beyond the studio's mission is also to just bring more transparency to the art world. So I love that we're all having these conversations and that, um, we're, you know, trying to make these topics feel a little less taboo. So thanks. Thanks again. 
Yeah, of course. Is there anything that you're working on um, that you can share that our listeners can look forward to from you? Um, Good question. You know, I'm open to taking on new projects now that I've just finished this giant commission. So I've really just been spending um, the last few weeks uh, cleaning out and getting my studio organized ready for new work. Um, But I'm definitely planning to, um, you know, start taking on new um, big projects. So hopefully some new painting uh, mural projects and some installation work in the future. Awesome. Well, everybody that's listening, make sure you go follow Nicole on Instagram and all her platforms. I'll have the links all in the show notes. Nicole, thank you again so much for joining me today and just being so honest and transparent in your journey. Um, It's been so fun having you on the show. Thank you. This was really fun. Thanks again. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and five ways to boost your online sales PDFs. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.